Whether we realize it or not, people are watching us and impacted by our decisions. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor. Maybe you're here today or watching in online and you're suffering the consequences of someone else's sin because they, their lives affect you. You're close to them. Maybe they're your family. Maybe they have a decision-making ability that affects you directly. And because of their sinful decisions, it's bringing you great pain, great sorrow, or even bringing death to a relationship or death to your life. Not necessarily physical, but to a hope or to a dream. And we can't forget that our lives affect others. That your walk with the Lord is really important. That you affect people that you don't even know. That are watching your life watching to see what you will do or how you'll respond. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Welcome to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. If you were with us last time, you'll remember that David made a huge mistake because he was trusting in the size of his army rather than God. Well, I'm happy to say he recognized the conviction of the Spirit and he confessed his sin of pride to God. It's a good reminder to us to be on the lookout for pride that so easily can take root in our lives and turn from it. As we begin, Pastor Ed relates this counting of the people in 2 Samuel 24 to something that happens frequently in church circles. We made a commitment, and I made a commitment, and I ask all the guys here, uh, anyone that's in leadership, do not count how many people come to a service. Don't do it. I don't want to know. And neither do you. Because when you start worrying about something like that, and you start, well, you know what, Pastor, you got to understand, we've got X, Y, Z less than last year, last week. So what? And you know, this week compared to last week, uh, or last, this week compared to last year, and you know the trends, the trends, oh, the trends. <laughs> well, you start counting something, you start paying attention to it. You start paying attention to it, you start worrying about it. You start worrying about it, you might start bragging. Maybe it's the opposite. Oh, pastor, you don't know. We have so many more people this week than we did last. We must be the best church in town. Oh, the church down the street, they ended their midweek service. That's all. No big deal. I have to say, in the early days, it was hard because, you know, when you had 30 people there and 15 showed up the next week, it was hard not to count them. So I can't say I was absolutely, I've been absolutely faithful with that. And I can't say that I, I haven't at times trusted in how many people were coming to church. But I'll tell you what, I've been around long enough that it doesn't matter. It absolutely doesn't matter. The Lord is going to um, stir up and draw people to Bible study that need to be here physically. And then the people that are tired and had a long day at work, they're not going to be here physically, but they're going to be on the radio. And maybe they're not able to be on the radio. They are sitting in front of their computer right now we don't need to worry about those things. And it's just one of, maybe you have to look in your life of what you're paying so much attention to that can go up and down when that's what you're trusting in. When it's high, you're happy. When it's low, I minister to a lot of pastors and a lot of church planters, having been a church planter myself. And this is a big deal. You may think, what's the big deal, Ed? Let me tell you something. This is a big deal. 
When you go to a conference, inevitably they go, how big is your church? And I'm so grateful that I can say, I don't know. This is how big the sanctuary is, and this is how many services we have, and people come and go. And they do. Now, of course, would any pastor want to reach more people as they can? Yeah, of course. But you have to be careful. Would a, would a king want to have enough military, like Jesus used, to count the cost when he goes to war? Of course. But not when the root is pride and disobedience. Not when the root is pride or disobedience. It's amazing how huh? you can do even the right things the wrong way. How, knowing how much military you have, it's okay to count. And knowing, you know, maybe a pastor's listening in, what are you saying counting people is wrong? No, because you can count the right way too. Maybe you use the numbers in different ways. I'm not saying it's a sin. It's just the commitment that I made in my own personal heart so that we focus on what's important. And that is, if two people are in front of us, it's just as important as 2,000. It doesn't matter. You, you don't, don't preach your heart out because the room is full. Preach your heart out because you want to please God. That's the essence. You guys with me? So this is where David is. He's in pride. He could have counted and known what his military was, but something is going on in his heart. And he's convicted, and after the conviction notice comes confession. And that's always the right order in our lives. David confessed his sin. Too many times when conviction comes, and you'll be in a Bible study, and conviction will come, it either gets ignored or forsaken or covered up. David tried that earlier, Bathsheba. It didn't work very well for him. He describes his life of, apart from um, confession, between conviction and confession, he describes his life as his bones were aching. It was a deep-seated pain in him. And too many times it gets covered up or given excuses, maybe lies to cover up. Sin is met with more sin. Convictions meant with more conviction, with more sin, which is going to bring more conviction. Things like I really didn't mean to do that, or it wasn't my fault, or it wasn't me, or I'm sorry you feel so bad for the decision that I made. Instead of, will you forgive me for what I said? Will you forgive me, God, for trusting in horses and the military might of my of my military instead of trusting in you? Sometimes we make excuses that it wasn't, wasn't really that bad after all. Everybody's doing it. I wasn't gossiping. We were just praying for that person. It really wasn't too bad. I've seen other believers do that. Who are you to judge me? And all the while, you're battling conviction. Now, I'm not saying that a believer can't come along every now and then and, and give you some hyper judgment. We're all guilty of that. I've learned over the years, maybe you have, that our sin always looks worse than someone else. And so we have a big response to somebody that's sinning in a very similar way that we are because we see it and we're fighting it. That's what happened with David when he came with the story. And he was so upset and gave the death penalty to somebody that killed an animal. But all the while, he was carrying the death penalty on his shoulders, his own death penalty, and proclaiming it on someone else. Conviction should always be followed with confession. The Bible says in Proverbs 28, verse 13, he who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. If you're taking notes, Proverbs 28, 13. Psalm 32, verse 3. When I kept silent, my, bro my bones grew old. 
Through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 22. For though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, yet your iniquity is marked before me. How can you say, says the Lord God, I am not polluted? I have not gone after the Baals. See your way in the valley. Know what you have done. You are a swift dromedary breaking loose in her ways. As David confessed his sin, God gives him three choices. It's interesting, isn't it? Never happened to me. Probably hasn't happened to you either. This is an interesting thing. Three choices you got, David. You're busted. You confessed. Here it is. You can have seven years of famine. You can have three months of running away. And David knows all about running away. Or you can have a three-day plague. And what does David cry out? You choose. I would rather fall into the hands of you, God, because of your mercy than the hands of man. It's different today, by the way. Don't expect this in your prayer life if you're confessing sin and God's going to show up with three options. Your car can blow up. (laughs) Whatever, I don't know what that. I'm just making it up. You make it up too. I don't know what your car can blow up. Your... I don't know. I don't know. I'm not fast enough tonight to think about it. But God's not going to do that to you. You know why? Because Jesus Christ took the penalty of your sin upon himself. It's a different covenant that you're under now. This isn't going to happen with you. He's not going to give you the choices. There is no choice. Really, the choice is Jesus takes it or you take it. And the only way that you can take it is that you you, you refuse to have faith in Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for you. There are no three choices. There's one choice. Look to the cross by faith. Acknowledge your sin. Admit it. And take the forgiveness. When we sin now, the punishment has already been taken. God doesn't give choices. Once sin is confessed, there is forgiveness, a blotting out. God does not then require you punishment for your sins. Now, that's why people get confused. And there is a confusion. It shouldn't be because there are consequences for sin. And many times you will confuse the consequence of sin as God's punishment. Jesus Christ took the punishment of your sin upon himself. But remember, if you sow to the flesh, you'll reap corruption. Whatever you sow, you'll reap. And you and I will experience consequences. However, even God in his mercy can remove consequences. God in his mercy. When somebody is standing before the judge, when somebody is standing before the law as a lawbreaker, almost always... If they're thinking straight, they're crying out for mercy. They're not standing before the judge, judge me and give me everyone else's judgment in this room. I mean, if they're really dealing with the reality of what they did, they're just asking for mercy. And when you ask for mercy, you're you're saying, yes, I did it. Please don't give me what I deserve. That's That's where David is here. Yes, I did it. Please don't give me what I deserve. I'm gonna trust you, God. The one that's believing and trusting in Jesus Christ is forgiven. And even though you might be weak and frail, even stumbling along as you're trusting in the Lord, loving our Lord Jesus Christ, God does not impute that iniquity to you. He forgives us. And so our position today is completely different than that of David, who lived prior to the blotting out of sin, prior to the blood of Jesus Christ, prior to the new covenant. Verse 15. So... The Lord sent a plague upon Israel from the morning until the appointed time. From Dan to Beersheba, 70,000 men of, of the people died. 
And when the angel stretched out his hand over Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the destruction and said to the angel who was destroying the people, It is enough. Now restrain your hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. And David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was striking the people and said, Surely I have sinned and I've done wickedly, but these sheep, what have they done? Let your hand, I pray, be against me and against my father's house. God sends a plague upon the people and 70,000 people die. And another difference between here and 1 Chronicles 21 is that in Chronicles it says it was only three years that it took, it says that it was three years that took place, different from what it says here until an appointed time. Between the first and second visits of David must have, between the first and the second, you know, between the beginning and the end, David must have sought the Lord. And I believe in God's mercy, he lowered the number, not according to what the options that he gave him. He lowered the number and he changed it. And as he brings this plague upon Israel, from the morning until the appointed time, these men die and great, a great, a great consequence comes upon the, plan, upon the nation, which leads us to another tough question. Why 70,000 people losing their lives? It's a good question to ask. We should ask the hard questions. Why innocent people? Well, the text tells us that David sinned. And yet, the anger of the Lord was toward the nation. Some commentators suggest that the, those, that were, those that lost their life were actually followers of Absalom. I thought that was an interesting thought. That they actually followed in the rebellion of Absalom and didn't want David as their king. The text doesn't say that, but I thought that was a good illustration or a good suggestion. Um, there is definitely a punishment from God among the people. But ultimately, they're paying for their own sin not the sin of David. It leaves you with a thought. In any way whatsoever, David connected with this because he is in the chapter, and that is simply your life affects other people. And perhaps there are those that are close to you right now that are suffering the consequences of your sin. Or maybe you're here today or watching in online and you're suffering the consequences of someone else's sin because they, their lives affect you. You're close to them. Maybe they're your family. Maybe they have a decision-making ability that affects you directly. And because of their sinful decisions, it's bringing you great pain, great sorrow, or even bringing death to a relationship or death to your life. Not necessarily physical, but to a hope or to a dream. And we can't forget that our lives affect others. That your walk with the Lord is really important. That you affect people that you don't even know. That are watching your life watching to see what you will do or how you'll respond. Either way, it's a, great, it's a great difficulty to see so many die. And yet, in the midst of this, don't miss, in verse 16, what a sight that David saw, the angel of judgment, and where he ended up. He ended up in this threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. Verse 18, And Gad came that day to David and said to him, Go up and erect an altar to the Lord, on the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. God is working these things together. Now David's getting direction to this threshing floor. Just a flat part of land 
uh, where they would take the weed and beat it and then throw it up in the air and then the, 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 the seeds would fall to the ground because they were heavier and then everything that was left would fly away. The threshing floor. So David, according to the word of Gad, verse 19, went up as the Lord commanded. Now Aruna looked and saw the king of his servants coming toward him. So Aruna went out and bowed before the king with his face to the ground. Now Aruna said, why has my lord the king come to his servant? And David said, to buy the threshing floor from you, to build an altar to the Lord, that the plague may be withdrawn from the people. Now Aruna said to David, let my lord the king take and offer up whatever seems good to him. Look, here are my oxen for burnt sacrifice and threshing implements and the yokes of oxen for wood. All these, O king, Aruna has given to the king. Oh, all these, O king, Aruna has given to the king. And Aruna said to the king, may the Lord your God accept you. And then the king said to Aruna, No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. Nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord, my God, with that which cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and oxen with 50 shekels of silver. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord heeded the prayers of the land and the plague was withdrawn from Israel. David obeyed the word from Gad to go over to Aruna at his threshing floor. And he meets the owner and wants to purchase the rock where the grain was being crushed so he can build an altar to the Lord. Now it's no ordinary, you're reading it there, without a little study, it might just seem like any other place and who is this guy. But this is no ordinary piece of property because it was the very place, according to Genesis chapter 22, where Abraham put his son on the altar. It's also the very place where Solomon later in 1 Chronicles will build the next temple. And Aruna, seeing the king come, which would be an amazing thing to be visited by the king and all his entourage, was willing to give the land to David. But the king says, no, I, don't, I will not take it for free. And he, what he says is, I won't offer that which cost me nothing. And David realized that a sacrifice is a sacrifice. And another way of saying that is, because a lot of times we use the word, I'm sacrificing from the Lord and I've sacrificed this. Listen, a sacrifice isn't a sacrifice unless it costs you something. A sacrifice is not a sacrifice unless it costs you something. That's the lesson that we see here. And that which we offer to the Lord as a sacrifice should cost us. In a culture that has set us up to be ultra comfortable and to avoid all pain as possible, this word comes. A sacrifice that doesn't cost us anything is no sacrifice at all. He says, I won't offer to the Lord that which has cost me nothing. Even though he could have taken the gift. He could have accepted the gift. There was nowhere in here that, that was a, a direct instruction other than just to go up and erect an altar. He could have asked, can I borrow a little bit of the land or erect an altar? And yet in the dialogue, it's clear that God wants to teach us a lesson about sacrifice. I mean, what would you do? If you think about it, if you were given this offer. You went up and you're ready to purchase the land. You want to build an altar. And then the brother says, no, I'm going to give it to you for free. I mean, it would be easy to say, great, I can save a few bucks. Or like I have a heart like David's where you say, I'm going to give everything that I have. I'm going to give everything that I am to the one who gave his all for me. Too many among believers today are too small hearted in their lives. We give God leftovers. Leftovers of our time, leftovers of our attention, leftovers of our money. We're not generous. People don't see us as generous. The reason they don't see us as generous is because we're not. 
And you may not be committing any moral sin. You may not be sinful at all. Or you might. Between you and the Lord. David gives us great insight to this word sacrifice. God sees the heart. He's looking for men and women who say, I'm devoted to worshiping God. I'm devoted to extolling him and praising him. I'm devoted to paying the full price. And even though here he is, David, at the end of his life, severely chastened, David is still recovering from his failures. He's still recovering from his weaknesses. We end the chapter and we end the book with David really exemplifying in all his weaknesses that he's really a man after God's own heart. I'm certain that if God wrote a book about your life and mine, it would probably be very similar. I don't know that we would be the highlight of the Bible, that we would be the example for everybody to follow, that you would say, what's your favorite book of the Bible? The book of me. (laughs) It would probably be your least favorite as things are chronicled in the scriptures as seen by God in his spirit, not just you. I don't know personally in my own life if I could survive God writing a chapter or a book of the Bible about my life as it stands today. Oh, I don't believe I'm disqualified and I don't believe that I'm in any great moral rebellious sin. But a book written about me would be pretty embarrassing as you get insight on my mind or you get insight on a decision I make or you get insight of a stumble in my life or there's a whole section of me arguing with Marie. Those are not pretty times. It's very hard for her to convince me that I'm wrong or vice versa if I happen to be the person that has the right perspective. And I'm certain, certain if you examine your life, you wouldn't want a book of the Bible written about you. But if you did, you'd want it to end this way. If you did, you'd want it to end on a high note. If you did, you'd want to be known as the one that purchased the property when they could have given it to you because your commitment was to give your best to God and not have anyone like Abraham be able to say that I did that, but only be able to say that God did that. That's sacrifice. Where nobody can take the credit, but only God will get the credit because man stays out of it. And that's where we end with David. But know this, just as David had his ups and downs and was still a man after God's heart, so too can you be a man or a woman with many ups and downs. And when the story is done and the book is closed and you're there standing before the Lord, by his grace and his righteousness, the forgiveness that only comes by him because of his eternal love and his commitment not to ever leave or forsake you, that he started in your life is going to complete it, that he's going to perfect that which concerns you when you stand before him. Even if you don't think you'll hear this, you will. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. It will be all because of the Lord and not because of you or me. And he will get all the glory in heaven, even as we were praying earlier. As we walk by faith, and he gives us victory after victory, and he reveals to us his sufficiency, listen, God gets all the glory and all the attention, and he becomes very attractive in a selfish, self-centered world that's only caught up in themselves. A world of which you've been delivered. You and I were citizens of heaven, and we're also citizens of the earth in that order. Don't forget it. Amen. 
Well, with that, we've made it through 2 Samuel. Thank you for taking part in the journey here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This final message in the series, Sacrifice Costs You Something, is available online at AboundingGraceRadio.com and wherever you get your podcasts. Our pick of the month is a helpful book from Warren Wiersbe called The Strategy of Satan. Take up arms as a Christian soldier as you read this timeless classic on the strategies of spiritual warfare. It will help you identify Satan's attacks and experience victory over the enemy. It's a practical manual for church and home use. Request a copy of The Strategy of Satan today when you give a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Call 877-30-GRACE or order online at calvaryco.store. And please remember, we are listener-supported. We'd very much appreciate you standing with us during these summer months. If the Lord is leading you to take an active role in the ministry through either a one-time gift or ongoing monthly support, please visit us online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or call 877-30-GRACE. Next time on Abounding Grace, Pastor Ed Taylor begins a new encouraging series in First and Second Kings. Solomon is anointed king as we take a look at 1 Kings chapter 1. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado and online at AboundingGraceRadio.com.